Hi Krishna, everyone. Um, okay, now we're back. I just had to do something there. Uh, welcome everyone to Chit Chat. Uh, my name is Kishore Chandra. And uh, we come on here, myself and Jai Jagannath Prabhu, every night at 6 p.m. to speak about spiritual topics. Chit. And we chat about the chit. And so yesterday was very interesting, but we had to kind of like end abruptly. So excited to kind of get back into it today. Um, Jaya is here. Let's see. Welcome everyone, Mani Blue Skies, Sanjeevani Radha, Hari Hari Bol, Hare Krishna, Hari Bol, Hari, Hari Bol. Sup. Had an interesting day. What was interesting about it? Like more of the stuff that I was talking about yesterday about, um, you know, for those of you that weren't there with us yesterday, I'll give some context about, you know, uh, people being called out that were in positions of power in, in yoga studios or in fitness studios, etc. And uh -huh. very much being called out in terms of like cultural appropriation or the way that they treated people or the way that they're like perpetuating, etc, etc, like this. So we spoke about that yesterday. And then today, um, it got like more messy, like it's, it's, even, it's unfolding even more. And, um, and I, I yesterday, I felt like I had more logical, not logical, that's not correct, the correct word. Yesterday, I felt like I had more of a, you know, um, like, I didn't feel the feelings yet. I was kind of just like, in my mind about it. I was just like, okay, this is happening, whatever. And today I started to get kind of like angry about it. And I noticed that I was feeling like upset and angry. And so I talked with a friend about it. And then I decided to stop talking about it and just um, practice my mridanga and uh, chant kirtan for a while, for like a long time. And that was very nice. And I'm happy that I have that shelter. And we all have that shelter um, in Krishna's names. Because I think sometimes heady topics get very like, you know, all this there's so much happening in the world as we know and the cultural appropriation and the racism and the BLM and the COVID and, you know, and it's, it's, where's this verse that you always like to say, or you brought up that one time that I really love about, um, about kind of like, uh, where was it? Oh yeah. How Krishna is causing people to forget their own souls while agreeing, sometimes disagreeing among themselves. And so they basically can never come to a conclusion about things. And uh, that verse like popped up in my head today because I was just like, that's what it started to feel like. You know, it's like one person's like, well, they said this. And the other person's like, well, they did this to me. And then the other person's like, no, da, 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 da. And when you turn on the news, it's kind of the same scenario, right? It's like, I don't know if you saw this, but I don't even know if this is true. I'm just like repeating what I saw. But I, I saw this thing just a few minutes ago. Like I ended my kirtan and I got on my phone stupidly and I saw this thing like someone posting like how Fox News is reporting that all the like all the extreme cases of COVID going up in Florida are like a hoax and yeah. I was God what is this world we live in like one second it's a hoax one second it's not one second there's this one second there's that and like this so I think that there needs to be a point where we just come to con come to terms with the fact that this is the nature of the material world 
that it's very difficult to come to conclusions that are not based on Shastra, essentially. And it's a lot of like a feeling game, you know? It's like, well, I feel this, and I feel that, and my opinion this, and my opinion that. It's, you know, it's, I don't know what you think about all this. Yeah, I, it's a lot, it's a lot what you're saying. Mm. I, at, the, at the root of it, it's, at the root of it is distinguishing the difference between what is reality and what is, you can say, non-reality. And that's what Vedanta as a tradition is concerned with. Yes. You know, reality, you know, there's this famous asotoma sadkamaya, lead me from the unreal to the real. And the asat means the unreal. And for Vedanta, the unreal is basically the whole material world. And, and the real is beginning with our own souls and then the supreme soul. So we're lost, you know, as Vedanta would have us understand it, the soul is lost in this um, wilderness of the unreality. Mm. Now, within the unreality, you have things that are relatively true and things that are relatively false. And so a lot of human existence that is concerned with the unreality is concerned with understanding the relative truth from the relative untruth. Mm. And that's where most of the dissension is. Uh, because when it comes to more absolute categories, there's really no dissension. Like you can see in devotional communities, for example, to say that everything in this world is Maya, no one's going to disagree with you on that point. Because <laughs> it's like one of those absolute things that, you know, there isn't much more to say on it. It's, that's what it is. If you accept Vedanta, that's what it is. Where devotees are having their, their arguments and their quote unquote conversations are centered around distinguishing the unreal the relative untruth from the relative truth mm. and that's where all the confusion bewilderment frustration and so on is concerned is coming up for example when it comes to i i saw some article i didn't bother to read it but it was something i forgot if it was an article or video or something where we were saying reclaiming reclaiming history one story at a time Mm. Our friend was uh, shared something and reclaiming history one, uh, one story at a time. So that means just taking it from the statement itself, it means that there's the, the belief that we've been fed a lot of lies about history. And so now we need to reclaim our minds essentially by getting the truth about history. Now, how you will exactly go about doing that, it's, <laughs> I really don't know. Um, mm. Basically, you go from accepting one person who you thought was an authority in the subject matter to accepting another person who is mm. purportedly an authority in the subject matter. And in this way, we're trying to distinguish between relative truth and untruth. And that is always a very bewildering situation. And I think it's been made more bewildering in the modern context because the modern world, it appears, flourishes on lies. In order for, in order for most modern industries to be successful, it seems that they depend largely on lies or, you know, on truth. You know, for example, meat industry packaging I remember going to the store growing up and the, you know, the beef, for example, would be wrapped up in 
an image of a cow with a smiling face on a, a farm with plenty of sunshine and plenty of green grass. And, and so it never really hits the psyche about what's actually going on until there were activists who were trying to expose what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that's just one example. Another example, um, Terry, Terry Crews, is that his name, Terry Crews? He's like that big black, yeah, muscular. I think he's. I mean, I remember him. I remember him from being in White Chicks. <laughs> Talking about yes, okay. He's. I think he's popular now in like The Voice um, and a few other things he does. Anyway, he he got into some some trouble, like last week or maybe in June, because he posted something. I was saying that we have to be careful that Black Lives Matter doesn't turn into Black Lives Better. Mm. And so he was dragged on social media later on. Is it Don Lemon from CNN? Called him on the show. They had a little bit of a debate or whatever. Um, Anyway, he got into another um, little thing recently where he said that we need to defund Pornhub. Mm. And I was like, now this is an initiative that I could really get behind. Like, the porn, pornography is like something that's manifestly problematic for morality, for human dignity, and ultimately for the soul. And they're making hella money, and probably more so during quarantine than ever before. So anyway, he, he kind of, you know, made some tweet about how we need to talk about defunding Pornhub. And, um, you know, obviously he got a lot of pushback for that. Mm. Uh, people were saying, you know, arguing how porn is healthy. And of course, there's some problems, but you shouldn't take it away and, and so on. Anyway, so then it was brought out that Pornhub, when Black Lives Matter, uh, you know, movement was coming um, into momentum, Pornhub was saying, you know, saying, we stand with Black Lives Matter. We encourage, you know, everyone to stand with Black Lives Matter. And we're giving $100,000 to any organization that's fighting oppression, blah, blah, blah. And so this other anti-porn group called Fight the New Drug, very, I I don't know how popular it is, but I've been aware of them for the last year and a half. So they immediately called out Pornhub, said, if you support Black Lives Matter, then why do you have all these categories of porn on your and Pornhub, and then they started naming some of the categories. And, so, and then they said, indeed, apparently, if you type in the word nigger in, in Pornhub, so many horrible categories come up that were unmentionable, apparently so. So, um, so f- the fight the new drug immediately called out Pornhub. If you, su- you say support Black Lives Matter, you're anti-racist, then why all this racist stuff? Like some of the titles, I'm not repeating them here because they're just, just completely appalling. So, but they were called out. And I kind of chuckled when I saw this, you know, saw this article in this exchange. I kind of chuckled because I was like, porn for me is an example of what I'm talking about here, where mm-hmm. a, a unreality is presented to you in the mm-hmm. form of apparently consensual adults doing nasty things together in front of a camera. Apparently, I, and I say apparently, um, consensual consenting adults because it is also some little bit of digging it is discovered that a lot of these so-called actors aren't actors at all and there's a lot of relationship between the porn industry and like human trafficking there's a lot of things that we don't want to consider when we're 
you know, suffering from heat. In any case, it's, this porn is a good example of something that's unreality being presented to us um, as, not as reality, but it's presented to us so that we can kind of exist inside this un unreality. Yeah. And people having a hard time coming to terms with the reality of what it actually is in terms of its impact on one's moral character, in terms of its impact on just practical things in society like human trafficking. We don't want to have to think about the realities of what the porn industry actually um, does to human dignity mm. and moralization and so on. So anyway, when it comes to finding out what is the, the real and, and the unreal in a conventional sense, mm. it's, I find it to be, and particularly in modern times where there's so much falsity going on, I find that whole process to be relatively demoralizing. Mm. for me because it's like how am i supposed to understand what is true and then like i've i've heard devotees like you know call me out for being conservative as if that's like i'm like well what's wrong with that you know like that in and of itself is that a bad thing I'm, i don't know because i don't think of myself as a conservative i think of myself as a devotee that's not really particularly invested in these things but and I, I was talking to, well, I wouldn't say talking, but having an exchange with my friends said, I kind of just, you know, believe the thing that makes the most sense to me, you know, as, the, as a talk and argument is coming up. It may so happen that a lot of the things that make sense to me seem to be more conservative, but mm. it just makes sense to me what's being said here versus the, the opposing point. And then, mm. um, but then I'm being told that, well, you got to do your research, you got to get educated. And then as I go through a, even a little process of like, okay, let me inform myself a little bit more about the relative truth or untruth, then you're finding so many contradictions everywhere or just like mm -hmm. opposing points that are very, it, it's tedious work to navigate through all of it and to mm -hmm. understand in reality what is true, what is not true. It's, it's particularly hard work. It's not, it's tedious work. It's hard work. It's exhausting work. And for me personally, it's been demoralizing kind of work just to like you know find out what is what is actually the history going on here and you look up something else and you you know you'll see an article 10 reasons why that thing you were just looking at was not true mm -hmm. you know so then you kind of like okay maybe i'll go on this side and then you'll see another thing 10 reasons why that's not true and it becomes so it's like yeah you just get jaded and so it's led to me kind of just taking a stance that actually all of this is Asat, actually, this all Maya, and it's it's causing me to forget my own soul and the purpose of my the actual purpose of my existence, and I've just been finding that to be the most uh, that stands to be the the one that provides the most peace and the mm. most um, really inward movement mm. um, because this other one is not providing inward movement. It's it's, it's just making me angry. It's making yeah. me contemptuous at, at times, making me indignant, incredulous. Mm -hmm. Like none of these are particularly positive qualities. And in certain cases, depending on what I'm thinking about in my head, I become like intolerant. So it's like dragging my soul down, essentially. Whereas when I take the stance, like this is all aside, this is Maya, I need to be thinking about my soul and how to, yeah, I find that I'm more in a state of tranquility. I find that there's inward movement towards a better side of my, even my own humanity, what to speak of my spirituality. 
-hmm. So that's kind of what I think about all this conclusively. Like, you know, this is basically all Maya and it's causing us to forget our soul. Yeah. And I think that I, I agree with you conclusively. I agree with you. Um, because I think we all, especially as devotees, we, we know that. Like, that's what it says in the Shastra. And, uh, and I don't know, maybe we forget or maybe we get so carried away by our minds or perhaps the relative truth becomes so loud in our life that we can't seem to, like, unlatch from it. Or we start to make... Um, what's that word we we this is the the thing that really you know i i find a lot of rub with where i start to conflate a relative truth with an absolute truth you know or oh, yeah. i say that that relative truth has everything to do with this absolute you know you see that a lot in our in our facebook debates between this person that person etc but i i swear to krishna that I completely opened the Bhagavad Gita randomly. Like, I was just like, first I opened it randomly and then it went to a verse that I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna use that one. And then it really opened randomly and it opened to this verse. And I loved, I love this verse. So this is chapter 13, verse 29. And it says, one who sees the super soul equally present everywhere in every living being does not degrade himself by his mind. Mm. And thus he approaches transcendental destination and in the purport Prabhupada is saying uh that he's saying Prabhupada is saying that um he does not degrade himself by a destructive mentality and he therefore gradually advances to the spiritual world he says the mind is generally addicted to sense gratifying processes but when the mind turns to the super soul one becomes advanced in spiritual understanding and it's like it's such a simple thing that we've spoken about many times on chit chat about how like when i'm not turning to the soul when i'm not turning to the super soul inside me when i'm not turning to krishna then i am avoiding myself and others you know and it's like it's that black and white you know it's like there's no it's almost like there's no gray area it's not like i'm like well i'm turning a little bit to krishna but i'm also a little bit exploiting like this you know and it's, <laughs> it's like you know those moments in your life or in your sadhana or in your daily life where it's like if you just stop and pause it's like okay i'm obviously in an exploitative mindset and totally forgot about krishna and totally forgot about my soul and i'm just i'm just on autopilot i'm just going through the motions right, right. or if you're on you're really feeling it you're feeling the bob you're like yes nourishing my soul this is what's happening and so it's not i don't know it almost seems like there's so much argument there's so much all of this stuff going on between people for various reasons and it's like i mean your mind is okay i have a question jaya is your mind your mind is maya your mind yes. is maya it's a product yes. of maya yes yeah so it's like if my mind and my opinions and blah 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 like i like this jaya we can just say it's maya it's a product of maya just turn to krishna like and but then the thing is that you'll get flack for that as well we well that a lot okay so this i get i get the flack part you know because it's like it, i we spoke about this earlier on but um the flack part comes that we have a certain obligation to our society because we live in yeah. a society and so you can't yeah. just be negligent of that obligation in the name of spirituality and i get that that to, to some degree i feel that can be a fair critique 
The problem is that the social body is so diseased at this point that mm. it, one comes to wonder what is the, yeah, the, the social body is so diseased, one comes to wonder if there can really be any turning back from it uh, and, and repairing and bringing the social body to a state of health. And by social body, let me clarify, because uh, my understanding of the social body is largely informed by my understanding from the Bhagavatam, the social body means, a mm. proper social body means there's a head, there's arms, there's a stomach, and there's legs. The head of the social body are the intellectuals. The arms of the social body are the um, military guys, the warriors, the, the, the sovereigns, and so on. The stomach of the social body are the Vaishyas, the mercantile men, the agriculturalists, and so on. And then the legs of the social body are the laborers and artists, artists and artisans and so on. So this is known as Varnashram in the sacred text. And a healthy social body is one where these categories exist like properly. They, people in those categories were breeded. I don't know how else to say it, but they were breeded to serve that particular function within the social body. At the present moment, we have a diseased social body where no one knows what position they're supposed to play. Everyone's willing to play every position. Um, people are voted into positions without us really knowing if they're truly qualified for those positions. Um, in this way, our social body has degraded over time. And it's, mm. it's, it's, it's in such a compromised state. It's like a body with cancer. Imagine you're like one of those cells living in a body where a lot of the cells are cancer ridden right so you don't maybe you're a cell in that body that doesn't have cancer but so many of the other cells in the body are cancer ridden and so you're living around this cancer ridden social body and then you're also mm -hmm. expected to participate in it to bring it to a state of health it for me the endeavor to do so is certainly commendable on a conventional level uh, at the same time, I don't know if it's fair to blame someone to be like, yo, you know, this thing is, <laughs> is done, you know, mm. and, um, or at least someone gets jaded and feels overwhelmed about what it is that they're going to do to help it. And at the, at the core of the, so, the success of the social body for the sacred text, and I think for most um, cultures previously, well, I don't, I don't want to say most cultures, but a lot of the old popular powerful cultures, the social body is rooted in God consciousness. So as soon as mm -hmm. God consciousness is out, your body's just, you know, it's just a matter of time before it completely collapse. The rot, mm. rot, rotting takes a long time, but collapse happens very quickly. So mm. a world where people are so adamantly turned away from God either because they're philosophically atheistic or they're just culturally atheistic. Like they believe in God or like just something they believe in, but they live life like a secularist. For a, for mm. a world that's so adamantly turned away from God, then, I, you know, I don't know if we feel philosophically there's any way to save such a culture. Mm. So why participate in it? Or if we're going to participate, we're only going to do the most important part of a, of a social culture, which is the God conscious part and mm -hmm. tell people like, Hey, you got to turn towards God. Otherwise it doesn't matter how much legislation you get passed. It doesn't matter how much you're crying about this thing or that thing. The, the root of the problem is not being addressed. 
Mm-hmm. And as long as people are not agreeable to that point, thinking that we're going to have a healthy or at least an improved social body without God, then I don't know if you can really blame me for being jaded about my participation in such a culture. Mm. And it was like watching the Roman Empire come to its knees and someone's telling you, you got to help, you got to participate and bring it back. It's like, well, they kind of got into hedonism and like cheating like real bad. And now they're getting the result of their buffoonery. And now you're saying, I got to participate and help them out. Like, what can, what can I do at this point other mm-hmm. than bring people's attention to God and the, the foundations by which a proper culture can be sustained? I'm really interested about right now what's happening a lot. I, I don't know if you've heard about this, but like call out culture or cancel culture. Yeah, of course, cancel culture. Very <laughs> <laughs> Cancel. And... I've been thinking about that recently because, you know, we kind of ended with this yesterday. I asked this question to you right. specifically about uh, one of the 10 offenses to the Holy Name, about um, not not preaching about the glories of the Holy Name to a faithless person, right? Right. And in general, I kind of think of that in a more broad way of like talking to people who are faithless or godless about consciousness, about bhakti. And I spoke about personally in my experience where I've been in like, you know, we, we were talking about cultural appropriation. We were talking about yoga studios, things like this. And so in many yoga studios, I've taught in many, many yoga studios in New York. And there have been various occasions where I've been asked to like tone down the bhakti or like not chant so much or like don't talk about Bhagavad Gita or like, you know, this and this. And I was just like, um, Bye, you know, no, thank you. I'm not going to do that. However, there was a moment where I was feeling very, you know, very overly adamant or like overly enthusiastic to like call people out or this and this or whatever. And I guess my question is like, you know, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about call out culture and accountability because I do see a lot of, you know, I was mentioning a specific thing yesterday about like various yoga studios kind of going like, lot going on uh you know whatever we don't need to get into that but racism cultural appropriation bad business practices etc so you have all these other teachers calling out other like everyone's calling everyone out and i'm just right i'm just sitting there like something doesn't feel right you know like and we spoke a lot about accountability yesterday and if i am truly authentic in my practices and sincere, then I should have no fear of accountability. And so I think about like the type of people calling each other out in today's day and age where you're speaking about like a, basically, you know, a completely secularized society, godless, like not, not God conscious kind of people. And then I'm thinking about Srila Prabhupada, you know, Srila Prabhupada was like, OG calling people out, you know, just like rascal and fools and impersonalists and this and like da da da. But he was obviously like an empowered pure devotee. And I, 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 Shri Prabhupada has been like really, you know, in my, in my psyche and in my mind these past few days because I'm like, I don't know, I really appreciated that from Shri Prabhupada because I feel like now there's this, now even in our communities, there's this like, let's just work together with everyone and like everything happy, happy and like, you know, not calling things out so much and like trying to get, you know, goody, goody with the yoga studios who are culturally appropriating and just like, you know, getting, you know, getting uh, what's that word I'm looking for? Like getting the contacts, you know, like connecting like this. And I'm just like, 
I don't know, like, where's, is there a line? Am I missing something? Or is, you know... No, I, 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 you know, I'm of the opinion that there is no right way of, like, preaching or trying to branch out, as we like to say, in the Bhakti Center. And different devotees, according to who they are, will have different ways of doing that. Um, so that's my, kind of, my basis in my own personal thinking. Mm. Now, when we talk about the contrast between Prabhupada's, we'll call it Prabhupada's style, where he was, as you say, OG calling everyone out. And that too was one of the things that really, really attracted me to Srila Prabhupada in my first book of reading his. I was like, damn, this old man calling out everybody. <laughs> and I remember I really appreciated that because I was accustomed to that other style of reading, like New Age books. Before I found Hare Krishna, I was reading like a lot of New Age spirituality, where it's like, yeah, love and accept everyone, and, you know, and so on. So when Prabhupada's coming out talking about this one's a rascal, this one's a demon, this one's nonsense. <laughs> and he had like his reasons. And it's like, well, this kind of makes sense. <laughs> and I found it to be very endearing. Like he didn't mince his words. It made it certain, very clear. Yes. And it was like, this is the truth. You know, I think for a person, because I was young when I contacted Prabhupada's books. So that, there's a factor of being young and bewildered. And just needing something like a strong rock to stand on. And Prabhupada's like kind of not nuanced way of saying things, very unambiguous, in a sense, very black and white, allow for a certain clarity, a certain strong rock that you can stand on to begin your spiritual life. But then as we discovered that a lot of us neophytes, when we've joined, we're novitiates. And what follows that sort of clarity of thought is a, a contempt for others, a contempt for the other. Rather, that other was our family members who we would look down upon after becoming devotees, or that other was our friends, or that other was the society. We followed our conviction and our newfound solidarity, let's say. And I, I, I mean solidarity in the sense of a strong rock to stand on. We followed that was our contempt. And so I think, and of course, contempt over contempt cultivated over years has um, devastating, disastrous effects. Mm. And I think our communities have seen the consequences of that contempt. And so what happened was that having seen that, we tried to find a middle ground. Mm. And the middle ground was like trying to remind devotees that despite, despite people being and ignorance and maybe living godless lives that they were spirit souls. And so the emphasis on the, the unity of all of us as spirit souls was like strongly emphasized to counterbalance our neophyte emphasis on difference, which mm -hmm. is largely based on the body concept of life and which led to our having contempt for the other. Mm -hmm. But now what's happened is because things rarely stay in the middle it's kind of swung all over to the other side where everyone's like a devotee of Krishna now. Yeah. Even, even if they're living godless lives and they're in full ignorance and they're, you know, they are, are qualified by the Asura Sampat, Krishna's language in the Gita. The Asura Sampat means the demonic assets. So yeah. despite these jivas being qualified by Asura Sampat and living godless lives, you know, we're, we're kind of told to not take that into consideration and just to kind of see them as devotees of Krishna because everyone is constitutionally Krishna Das. So it's kind of swung this other way. And I, again, I get that because it, it needed to counterbalance the contempt part.
but now what it's leading to is a sort of potent list, or not potent, impotent, an impotent sort of egalitarianism, an, an, an impotent um, univer universalism, where we're not allowed to see any distinction whatsoever, otherwise we're some sort of bigot or we're some, you know, that's just due to our neophyte nature. Um, and so, yeah, that, so that, be, that becomes another sort of problem. I always have the opinion that, listen, you can call a spade a spade. Like, if they're living a godless life and you say they're living a godless life, what is the problem? <laughs> now, I, say, I do get the fact that that can be coming from a place of contempt, which is true, depending on your maturity. But it can also be coming from a place of being self-situated, mm -hmm. where you're actually situated in the truth. And so you have the ability to discern that this is godlessness, this is not. This is buffoonery. This is not. And it can be coming from that place also. So I'm kind of the view is like people should be trained. And, it, and when you're trained in the truth, whatever the truth is, but we're talking about the truth of Bhagavad Gita here, then what is the problem? This one is Asura Sampai. This is clear. This one is non-devotee. Yeah. They're living like this. What is the problem? That doesn't mean they're evil person. It doesn't yeah. mean that they're um, less than me in some way. There are still spirit souls who are deluded by the deluding potency of my. What is, why can I say that? You know, and so at the end of the day, like I like to say, like, at the end of the day, we want to discern like Krishna discerns, right? Yes. We want to become God-like. So God, Krishna is discerning the Gita. He called, the, the whole term Muda and all that, that's coming up from the Bhagavad Gita, yo. That's not coming from Prabhupada. Prabhupada, you can hear many lectures where Prabhupada is saying, I am not saying they are fools and rascals. Krishna is saying, and because I'm his devotee, I'm just repeating. And mm -hmm. I, I remember specifically hearing one class where Prabhupada was asking his disciples, how come you don't call them fool and rascal? Prabhupada was saying, this, why you don't call them fool and rascal? He said, I am saying, you see, I tell them right directly, they are fool and rascal. Why are you not calling them fool and rascal? And then Prabhupada said, because you are fool and rascal. <laughs> and because you are living like them, you don't, you don't have to be a hypocrite and call them out. So you are not saying. So you are fooling. So you need to stop living like fooling. And then you tell them they are fooling rascal. But this yeah. is intended to be out of compassion. You know, yeah. compassion having its multifarious manifestations. So obviously it's a thin line. Like there's no substitute for maturity. So I don't want to say like it's all simple. There's no substitute. There can be someone calling you fool and rascal because of contempt. And there can be someone saying fool and rascal like a mother out of care. And that will depend on the individual and the, mature, the maturation of their own spirituality. At the same time, yeah. there, is, you know, there is the philosophy that is intended to guide our lives, whether someone is mature or not mature, and their seeing of the world. I think that... I think that um... You know, Marilyn made a nice point, like coming from a place where you care about about the people. And I think what sometimes is, again, uh, a standard of care or a standard of compassion might vary vastly depending on who is right. admitted, you know? And it's like, I remember when we were in the ashram, like myself and you and Kishore Gopal and others, like we would bond about our you know upbringings our parents giving us a whooping this and this and whatever and now as an adult 
I like, I really like actually value that that happened in my childhood. I value that harshness and that hardness. However, that being said, could watch happen. However, that being said, I remember like, for example, when I, there, there was definitely an element of like, uh, <clears throat> compassion, meeting people where they're at that I really appreciate about like the preaching style of the Bhakti Center, many at the Bhakti right. Center, meeting where they're at. Like I never, I never in my mind see myself still to this day as like preacher of Bhakti. Like I don't see myself as that way at all because right. I still haven't wrapped my mind around this because like I just, living my living my bhakti life and doing my thing everyone i'm here in chit chat and that's that but like when it comes to like talking to people i'm just like i don't and and the reason i don't know is because i think it's very i mean i've spoken to people obviously i've, I've spoken to to many people in the bhakti center like this but i've never really felt like i don't know i feel like it's a very fine line between calling out or saying it's like this or it's like that and then putting the folk and then like looking at myself and like looking at my bhakti practices yes like, am i being a hypocrite like that's what i was always asking myself and then my answer would always be yes so i'm <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> i'm not gonna say anything and you know i think that like i have i think we just have to be really honest with like where we are at in our spiritual life you know i'm very i try to be like blatantly honest with myself to the to the extent that i'm almost like overly like honest shaming myself not that great but one thing that i will say is that i personally at least i'd rather do that than like be inflated in my ego calling out others not taking a look at myself oh you know? absolutely I'd rather be like in shame and guilt about all the awful things that I've done than be like, I know what's up and you're doing this and blah, 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 and like this and this. And the thing is that we are seeing so much of that, like, especially right now that it's like internet culture and like Facebook and people getting into Facebook wars. Like we see so much of just, you did this and how could you be with this position and this political blah and this whatever. Right, 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 right. Like, yo, like, um, How's your Bhagavad Gita study going? You know, how are your rounds going? How's this going? That's How's, not important. You know, and I'm just like, and I feel like a crazy person, except here on Chit Chat with you and the audience. I feel like a crazy person for bringing it up, you know? Like, and that's the thing that's most annoying. It's like, if I don't jump on the boat of like, you know, tearing others down or like the witch hunt or like politics or whatever. Yeah, your it, silence is violence. Yeah. Silence is violence. If I don't jump on the boat, and if I don't jump on the boat in a very specific way, and I'm talking about, well, you know, in the 13th um, chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, so, no, you know, that's not, you know, like that. and it's like, what's going on? What, what, how has, how have things turned upside down like this? And so I very much appreciate spaces like chit chat where we can, you know, talk about it candidly in a, in a nice open way and also bring it back to Shastra. I got something for this, what you're saying from one of Prabhupada's purports. This is um, 329. And he's like, oh, interesting. Social work comes up in this sentence. I didn't, I didn't know that, by the way. I, it's on this practicing silently point. Like bhakti being somewhat of a private practice mm -hmm. and maybe not something that we need to be imposing upon others. Uh, so Prabhupada writes here, this is in the commentary that Bhagavad Gita as it is, 329. He writes, Ignorant men think of the body as a self. They accept bodily connections with others as kinsmanship, 
the land in which the body is obtained is their object of worship, you know, nationalist consciousness. And they consider the formalities of religious rituals to be ends in themselves. Social work, nationalism, and altruism are some of the activities for such materially designated persons. Under the spell of such designations, they are always busy in the material field. For them, spiritual realization is a myth. And so they are not interested. I'm about to post this on Facebook. This is good. Wait, hold on. And he continues. Those who are enlightened in spiritual life, however, should not try to agitate such materially engrossed persons. Better to prosecute one's own spiritual activities silently. Such bewildered persons may be engaged in such primary moral principles of life as nonviolence and similar materially benevolent work. Mm. So very, I think this is hits right on what you were just talking about a little bit. Wait, sorry. And then he continues because this is the point that I was making. Men mm. not appreciate activities in Krishna consciousness. And therefore, Lord Krishna advises us not to disturb them and simply waste value. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Srila Prabhupada. <laughs> but the devotees of the Lord are more kind than the Lord. Oh, my God. I was looking for this verse this morning in my Bhagavatam class, and I, and I couldn't find it. I was looking for this particular sentence, and now I've, Krishna has sent it to me in this roundabout way. Anyway, but the devotees of the Lord are more kind than the Lord because they understand the purpose of the Lord. Consequently, they undertake all kinds of risk, even to the point of approaching ignorant men to try to engage them in the acts of Christian consciousness, which are absolutely necessary for the human being. So uh, different persons, because above probably saying better to execute silently. And then he's saying devotees are more merciful than the Lord. So sometimes they agitate also. Yeah. Interesting. I, you know, to my, because to your question that you posed at the end of chit chat um, yesterday about, should we like, we shouldn't preach to the faithless. That's one of the operas and, I was thinking, you know, Gita has the secret teaching, more secret teaching, and the most secret teaching. So after Krishna gives the most secret teaching at the very end of the Bhagavad Gita, he says, this should not be taught to the, the faithless, those who are not devoted, those who are not austere, those who are not inquisitive. Mm. And I always understood that this refers to the most secret teaching, mm. which is teachings about bhakti. Yes. Like talking about the intricacies of devotion to persons who don't really have faith and devotion is what may be considered as an operat. But to teach about the secret and the more secret knowledge is essential for human society. The secret knowledge, of course, is the understanding of the distinction between matter and spirit and the processes by which one goes about realizing that. And the more secret knowledge is knowledge about God as the creator of the world and the creator, the regulator of the world and one's need to dedicate acts to that paramatma to that lord of the world that knowledge is kind of required and if we if it has to come up in conversation yeah let's talk about our souls let's talk about the source of the world but as far as devotion to that supreme being that's a very private affair i was teaching a i was teaching a, a very short very very short i taught like a master class or whatever that means on sunday and uh like asana or whatever but there was a philosophy point and so i spoke about bhakti yoga for just an hour and i gave kind of a very like condensed you know like this is what they're you know basically exactly what you just said like 
uh, the secret knowledge and the more secret knowledge. And I didn't really go to Bhakti at all because it's like, no, you know, like that, that's a whole thing in and of itself. And one person asked me, they were like, well, you know, like, okay, I understand this and I understand, you know, the ignorance, the non-attachment, the nature of the soul and like all this is making sense. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like, um, I hear some of, you know, some, some, some of these tenets come about in Buddhism about non-attachment this and she was like doing a bunch of this stuff. And she was like, but what about bhakti? And I was just like, um, that's a lot to talk about. And um, we, you know, I gave like kind of the smallest response that I could possibly give about like, kind of, I, I, I went into the, like the nine processes of devotional service a little bit just to be like, well, I, I did the first three, you know, but it's like, that's a very personal thing, like you're saying. And something that really, maybe we can continue on this yesterday, uh, sorry, we can continue <laughs> tomorrow. Honestly, I'm, I'm in one of those places where I do not know what day it is. It's like, Okay, so we can continue on this tomorrow, but something that's been ticking me off, not recently, like for a very long time, and I've spoken with you about this, because now this is all coming kind of to a front as the yoga studios are going, you know, they're going, and so we see so many kind of like people using the bhakti terminology or the bhakti this or the bhakti that, or, and I, you know, Trust me, everyone. I tried my best not to be a hater and not to be envious. Like, I really tried. And I some I succeeded. I was just like, you know what? You go do your thing. I'm going to move to the ashram. And I'm going to do my thing. And you guys have fun. You know? Good on you. And now, for some reason, it's coming up again. Not in a not in an envious way. Because, because you know, I'm not envious of their crashing and burning currently. But more more in a way of just like... I mean, maybe it is obvious. I don't know. More in a way of just like you should, you should study what real bhakti is. You know, like perhaps this could have been avoided if it wasn't just like well, bhakti's this and bhakti's that and bhakti chai and bhakti love and bhakti whatever. You know, and I think it really speaks to what we talk about a lot on chit chat is like how serious are we about our spiritual life, and that's both as devotees as people who are trying to be bhaktas, of Krishna and others that are perhaps listening or will listen to this that maybe aren't devotees of Krishna, but do consider themselves spiritual in some sort of way. Because I think the question always comes down to, it's like, how much am I performing spirituality and how much am I actually having a personal practice of spirituality? And right. at the yoga world, you know, at least in the yoga world, there's a lot of performance of spirituality. Yes. You know? A performance of yoga, you know, kind of showing the, the image of what it's supposed to look like. Right. And that always that always ticked me off specifically about you know this point in Bhagavad Gita and the apparat of like don't you know don't teach the faithless and you know don't talk about this bhakti with the faithless and whatever. So when I when I remember first reading that years ago, I was like, okay, I won't you know like but but there was a part of me that wanted to just like call them out and be like no you didn't but I I controlled myself and. Kavi is putting it very nicely, actually. She's saying, I think it's frustration that they're watering down something so beautiful. They're committing offense. <laughs> thank, thank, thank you. Thank you for calling a spade a spade. That's exactly what I meant. That's exactly what I meant. And it's like, you know, okay, okay, sorry. I'm just going to go on. I'm just going to go on this a little bit because that's exactly what I meant, Kavi. And it's like, they're okay they're committing offense by watering something down so beautiful but it's like we were in this kind of like you were saying jaya of like being pushed to the all the way to the other direction of like 
you know, just like connecting with everyone and like this and compassion. It's okay. Not like this and whatever. Because and because we've seen the consequences of contempt in our communities. Because the consequences of contempt, and we haven't been able to find the middle ground. And right. so obviously, I, I or no one, you know, can take a position like Srila Prabhupada and be like fools and rascals and whatever and like this. But I don't know. I mean, like I was also very attracted to that, you know, and I was also very attracted to. I remember Srila Prabhupada saying like this, like you were just mentioning about like this is Krishna saying this, you know. And, like, oh, that comes with a warning then i'll tell you I, I have a lived experience of this and i've heard many devotees speak about this mm. whenever you call someone out for something watch yourself what no. you'll notice is that you'll be tested probably almost immediately on the same thing that you're calling someone out for and if you don't pass the test you'll be forced to sit in the defecation of your own hypocrisy which is, which is very embarrassing. So I, I think a lot of devotees have this, this lived experience of this. So this, is also, this also contributes to the culture of not calling a spade a spade. Yeah, so it's, it's a very, it's a very, and I have that lived experience. I'm, yeah, for sure. <laughs> not, like, not even maybe like calling someone out publicly. I would never, you know, I'm not like that. But more like in my heart, like in my Right, heart. right. I remember when I first moved to the ashram and I was very PDS. I was feeling a lot of those feelings. And Krishna tested me and di I didn't do so well. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the way you put it. I had to suffer in the defecation of my own hypocrisy. And, and I was just like, okay, you know what? I'm not going to be involved in that. And I'm just going to focus on purifying myself and on my own spiritual. Right. But I think that yeah, and I was making that point earlier. It's like, we have to be very careful of call-out culture because it's very different when Srila Prabhupada is calling people out because it's Srila Prabhupada. Right. As opposed right. to whatever calling someone out that I have a lot of, like so many anarthas and I'm, you know, like this. So it's, I don't know. I feel like, let's continue talking about this tomorrow because yeah. I, how do we, how do we move on from that? point then you know it's it's almost like a like okay i, I should or i shouldn't or i can or i can't yeah. let us let us continue because uh, i do have a lot of thoughts about this because i'm currently thinking about this a lot more um as we are the the up-and-coming generation that's supposed to you know carry the torch forward and if we're going to do that with all integrity that will involve some level of calling a spade a spade at times and knowing when to apply softness and sensitivity at other times. Yeah. So I've been, I've been thinking about this quite a bit in yeah. the last week or so. So let us continue this discussion. Let's continue. I think it's a really good topic. Um, but yes, thank you everyone for watching. Thank you everyone for being here, uh, all the regulars. And if you're new, welcome. We do this every night at 6 p.m. We come here, we talk about... Uh, spiritual topics, Bhagavad Gita, Shrimad Bhagavatam, Krishna, and politics sometimes, and societal things, and it's always fun and candid, and Jaya like to, you know, laugh a lot, so <laughs> thank you all so much for being here, and to Jaya, Jaya. tomorrow at 6. Later, family. Haribo. Haribo. Hare Krishna.